now that we have been primed by the worship and song to our God, we'll now hear a word from our God. Matthew chapter 10. We begin at verse 32 this Lord's Day, two minutes after noon. While you're turning there, I'd like to uh, point out uh, someone in our church who joined a year or two ago, and you don't see him often because he works for NGO. He's, he travels. He's here. Brother Jim Spiros, right there. And so I want you guys to know that. So when you see him come in, when he, he's got to leave and go back to wherever you're going. And, uh, Macedonia. Oh, we know about Macedonia, don't we? And, all right. And... Uh, Matthew chapter 10. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Of course, my uh, subject for these verses is confessing Christ. The world as we know it will end. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. The vital question for humanity in light of this is, whose side will you be on? Will you be on Christ's side or on the other side? Will you be on the side of salvation or will you be on the judgment side? Our first heading begins to inform us as to how we can know if we are on Christ's side. Confessing Christ means allegiance to him. Up to this point in the narrative, our Lord has been teaching the inevitability of persecution coming to his disciples throughout history. Verses 16 through 21 is a recounting of that for your perusal later. The word therefore here in our text, verse 32, draws an inference from the immediately preceding words in the pa passage about divine care and protection for believers as they carry out their mission in the harvest field. The harvest field also is known as the world of lost men. The world of lost men where there is the potential and even the actual reality of a persecution. A world that is hostile to Christ and to his people to one degree are another. Because of God's sovereignty, 
his protection and care of believers, these things in place, we have no excuse, therefore, for shrinking back from our task of sharing the gospel with lost people. We should not be afraid of men because of their hostility and their hatred toward us. For our God is sovereign over them and over us and over everything. And he has promised to provide care for us. He will take care of us. And as we serve him, we serve him trusting him as we do our duty for him. God our Father, he is the one who determines when we die, not the world. We are, in fact, invincible until we are finished with our assignment. I will not leave here, nor will you leave this planet one second sooner than God ordained for your life. You will leave here on time. The time that God had determined in eternity past for the life that you now have. Therefore, we should not fear men as to what they might or can do to us as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ in proclaiming his gospel. We are not to be afraid of them. We shouldn't therefore refuse and we must not fail to confess Christ before men. That word confesses there in verse 32, that word means to trust in. It means to declare one's allegiance to. We will confess our trust in, our loyalty to, our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. When we are confessing him, we're saying, I, I, I trust in him. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I, my allegiance first and foremost, is to him. We confess him before men. No matter what they may say about him or about us, we confess him. If there's persecution to come, we confess him. If there's actual persecution, we confess him. We trust him and declare that he is our Savior and our Lord. So we're to declare our allegiance to Jesus Christ before men. That is, before the world. And you know, after all the world, they are seen as Jesus describes as wolves. Uh, the environment's a dangerous one. And as our culture that we happen to be in in this point in history is increasingly hostile to Christianity, hostile to the Bible, hostile to Christ, hostile to God, just know you're going to come across that sort of thing. But don't fail to confess Christ. Hold fast to him. And I, I want you to understand, we're not the first generation that has to had to face the potential of persecution. In fact, Christians in prior generations have endured persecution. I would say most of us in this room haven't experienced persecution to any significant degree. Would you say amen to that? Amen. All right, you just agree with me and the Lord. <laughs> Confessing men before men. Isabel Wilkerson recounts a true story that occurred in the antebellum south regarding the faithfulness and allegiance to Christ of a slave. I'm going to quote her words verbatim or read them. Two planters in South Carolina were dining together at one of their plantations. The two were passing the time 
discussing their slaves and debating whether the slaves had the capacity for genuine religious faith. The visiting planter said he didn't much believe they did. The planter who was hosting begged to differ. I have a slave who I believe would rather die than deny his Savior, he said. The guest ridiculed the host and challenged him to prove it. So the host summoned the enslaved man of his and ordered him to deny his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The enslaved man affirmed his faith in Jesus and pleaded to be excused. The master, seeking to drive home his point to his fellow slave owner, kept asking the man to deny Jesus. And the man, as expected, kept declaring his faith. The host then whipped the enslaved man, now for disobedience, and continued to whip him, the whip cord cutting to the bone. The enslaved man of faith died in consequence of this severe infliction. Now, Miss Wilkerson had a different point to make in relating this story. My point in telling it is that the man confessed Christ. He confessed Christ in a dire, difficult situation. He was a saved slave, but he was faithful to Christ. He endured punishment for his faith in Christ. He refused to recant. In fact, Christians have suffered like that throughout redemptive history. There's a man in Revelation chapter 2, the church at Pergamum. You can look there if you wish or just listen as I read. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, Jesus Christ speaking, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. I don't know about you. I would like to be like Antipas. I, I want to be faithful unto death. In fact, I, I grew up in a church where I had a pastor who used to always say, be faithful unto death. And that's how we're to be. Now, in that passage in Revelation, Jesus recounted what happened to Antipas because he saw it. Jesus was there in South Carolina when that slave refused to recant his faith in him. He saw it, Jesus did. In the future, Jesus says, verse 32, if you're looking back there, Everyone who confesses him. Jesus says, I will confess or acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. This confession, this allegiance to Christ in the face of a hostile world, a Christ-hating world, demonstrates that one belongs to Christ. You'll, you'll notice the future tenses in verses 32 and 33. I will. That refers to the judgment. I don't know how all of that's going to work out, but I do understand that Jesus is going to say, Father, he belongs to me. Yeah. 
Father, she belongs to me. Father, they didn't deny me. He or she belongs to me. He is going to confess his faithful ones before his Father in heaven. And I, I know you're like me. You want to hear the words of Jesus as Father, he's mine. Father, she's mine. Verse 32, 33. Here's the contrast Jesus presents. But whoever denies, that is, disowns, that is, declare the, that one does not know or have dealings with someone. But put it like this the pressure rises and you are tempted. And if you're not careful, you might say, I, I don't know him. Um, I, I, I don't really know this Jesus. That's denial. The contrast here relates to the false Christian and the true Christian who has a moment uh, or time of failure. The true Christian does. The false Christian, let's analyze him first or her. This false disciple is one who makes an outward profession of faith. They, they say they believe in Christ. They uh, talk about him. Maybe even they attend service where Christ is preached and mentioned. But when the fires of persecution, as it were, come, they deny or disown Christ. In the parable of the sower, Jesus teaches this reality. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 21, it says about uh, this person, as Jesus explains this parable for his disciples and for us, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. That's a key word. There is, by the way, let me let you know, there is no such thing as a temporary, genuine Christian. Amen. <laughs> Amen. If you're temporary, you didn't have it in the first place. <laughs> Understand that, will you? No temporary Christian. Can't modify Christian with temporary and be talking about the genuine article. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Why is this, Jesus? He tells us in the top of verse 21, yet he has no firm root in himself. His belief in the gospel is superficial. There is no depth to his faith. The word hasn't penetrated, gone down deep into his life and his heart where it controls him. It changes him. It hadn't happened. It was temporary because it was shallow. It wasn't a real faith. His soul was not changed. And when it was no longer convenient to follow Christ, he bailed. Took my, his spiritual parachute and got out of the plane. This person is revealed to be a false follower, not a true convert of Christ. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. 
well, what about this guy named Peter? Yeah, I, I knew you were thinking that, you Bible readers. <laughs> Peter, did he not deny Christ? Did he not deny Christ three times? So he's exhibit A. But Peter was a true Christian. He is a true follower of Jesus Christ. Peter's faith wasn't temporary, but his defection was. His faith was real. Here's the real McCoy. Here's the real deal. After Peter denied Christ the third time after cock crowed, he was brokenhearted. You recall the gospel. As soon as that cock crowed, that rooster, you know, you farmers, y'all know what I'm talking about. Jesus looked right at Peter. And Peter went out and wept. Peter, he recognized his sin. He loved Jesus. But under the pressure of the crisis that he endured there, he didn't have the strength. And Jesus told him you couldn't do it. And I'm going to tell you, let me throw this in here. You know what you need when you're facing a crisis? You need to be prayed up. Remember when Gethsemane, Jesus said, now you guys come here, Peter, James, John. What y'all need to do, stay here with me and pray that you enter not into temptation. What were they doing? <laughs> Snoozing. <laughs> when you're facing a crisis, you know a crisis coming, you better be in prayer. See, his faith was real. And he repented of his sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ restored him. And I'm going to tell you something. Keep this in mind. The Lord knows whose denial is from a genuinely converted believer and from the one who's experiencing a temporary moment of weakness. Church history tells us Thomas Chalmers Christian and he was jailed and they said we're going to burn you at the stake the next day if you don't recant so he goes he tries to get ready and he has a candle and he puts his finger there trying to see what the fire feel like and he went out and you know what he did he uh, denied the Lord he went back in they let him go and he was so discouraged he was a real Christian he went back the next day. Church history tells us that time he didn't deny the Lord. Christians can fail, but true Christians won't keep it up. The Lord knows who are his. That's what he says in 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows if you're real and knows if you're not. I'm going to tell you, Jesus warns about false Christians. You can't help but see that as you work through Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, 16 through 20, he talks about that. Do this and that and the other thing in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me. And Jesus says about those who deny him, who don't belong to him. Verse 33, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. He'll say, Father, I have no relationship with him. I have no relationship with her. I don't know them. Now, some people think, well, I tell you what, I'm going to try to get to the Father apart from Christ. 
I'm going to try to go around him. You know, and when there's a, a blocked artery, coronary artery, surgeons can perform, as you know, a bypass operation and find a new path for the flow of blood to the heart. May I let you know, on the authority of the Word of God, there is no spiritual bypass around the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get to the Father except through Him. Anybody think they're going to bypass Him to get to the Father, get to the heaven? I let, let me let you know, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's no spiritual bypass. Got to come through Jesus. Amen. It's the reality. It's the reality. Confessing Christ means allegiance to him. Second point, confessing Christ means putting him above family. Well, we're getting ready to get in some deep waters now. <laughs> Listen now. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. Let me explain. The Jews expected a political Messiah, one who would deliver Israel from the hated Romans. They hated being under the boot of the Roman Empire. And they wanted their Messiah to come with political power, military force, and throw off the yoke of Rome. They had a misconception about Messiah. People today have a misconception of Christ and his mission as well. Liberation theology, for example, which is a false theology, thinks Christ is a political and social liberator. Now listen to what I'm getting ready to tell you. Dr. Ibram X. Kendi said in an interview in 2021, quote, Jesus was a revolutionary, and the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society. The job of the Christian is to liberate society from the powers that are oppressing humanity. End of quote. Dr. Kendi is wrong. Christ and his gospel and his followers have not been sent into the world to liberate humanity from the oppressive social structures. Rather, Christ, by his grace and by his gospel, frees people from the power of sin and Satan. You understand me? He didn't come to overturn the government. He didn't come to free people from all these oppressive things. He didn't come to do that because that doesn't solve the problem. The reason for those structures, the reason for those things is because man is a sinner. And if you don't fix the reason, you ain't going to fix the rest of it. But Jesus didn't come here to fix temporary structures. He came here to save permanent souls. People were headed to an eternity, either heaven or hell. That was his mission, and that is our mission. Because we're all going to be in eternity one day, and the real issue is where are we going to be? Whose side are we going to be on? I'm not going to care about the oppressive structures. I want to know, am I with Jesus or not? Nobody in hell talking about what's going on up there. People in heaven aren't looking down to them, but boy, no, they're praising Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Amen. They're looking at the wonders of God the Father in heaven. That's what they're doing. 
Jesus Christ. You need to understand this. You need to get the gospel right. You need to understand this. He came to save his people from their sins. Jesus sets men free from sin. His mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Christian's job is not to revolutionize society. The Christian's job is to revolutionize men with the gospel of the kingdom. Our job deals with the eternal. And by the way, we take our orders from the head of the church, not people who misconceive what the head of the church is about. Amen. Amen. Jesus further, verse 34, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I know what you're thinking. I, I, uh, I get these Christmas cards at Easter, uh, at Christmas. And um, like you do. And there's a verse glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men and Jesus says here though I didn't come to bring peace on earth I came to bring a did not come to bring peace but a sword we need to reconcile that because um, after all Isaiah 9 6 calls him the prince of peace What's, what is the deal? Well, let's try to work out this so that we can understand it. Luke chapter 2. What I quoted from Luke chapter 2, verse 14 a moment ago is from the King James Version. I want to let you know that's a, not the best translation. Here's a better translation. Luke chapter 2, verse 14 from the New American Standard. It says this, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. All right, let me unpack that, what this means. The peace about from these angels is the peace that comes when one is rightly related to God by faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the peace that is the outcome of salvation's ro ro salvation, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. That is what he's talking about. And it says here in this text, verse 14, the bottom of the verse, with whom he is pleased those upon whom he is pleased to bestow salvation. That's what it's meaning. You can't reach this verse from its context and then start talking about some kind of social renovation that Jesus came. No, no, no. He came here to save men from their sins. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15 says the gospel of peace, the peace between God and the redeemed sinner is what that text means in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15. Say, well, he is the Prince of Peace. How does that relate? It relates to this. When Jesus comes a second time, Isaiah 2 verse 4 and Isaiah 9 verse 6, when he comes a second time, let me tell you, there will be peace and justice. Let me tell you why you're not going to ever have a world like you would like to have. You can dream all you want to. It ain't going to happen until Jesus comes. Let me tell you why. Peace and justice cannot be fully achieved by fallen mortals. They can't do it. Every time you turn around, there's some kind of conflict. 
if China's not sending balloons over our country, the Iranians trying to mess up our men in Syria. And we're having to retaliate. Our nation is. Then we've got to deal with China. We've got to deal with Russia. Then we have internal turmoil. We have all this stuff going on. They, they can't fix it. Worldwide peace and justice must be divinely implemented. Messiah is going to have to do it. When Messiah comes the second time, that's Jesus Messiah, then it will happen. With men, it is utterly impossible for them, and here's why. They do not have the requisite wisdom and understanding. They are without the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The very qualities that Messiah will have, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, when he comes. Jesus will have to do it. He's the only one who's got the wisdom. He's the only one who has the understanding. He's the only one who fears the Lord. He's the only one who has the power to do it. Until he comes, it's not going to happen. Incremental improvements in some areas and other, but every time you put out one thing, quit playing whack-a-mole in the world. You fix something over here, boom, something pops up over here. <laughs> Haven't you noticed that? Can't fix it. So he'll he'll bring peace, but it'll be on divine terms, by divine power, with divine wisdom. Then people get along. There'll be abundance. Well, we continue to look at the text. The end of the verse, verse 34, it says, but a sword, a metaphorical sword, not the sword of revolution. And we know that's true. Jesus is really talking about a sharp division that he'll bring to families because that's what he talks about in verse 35. That preposition for, notice, for I came. This is how it explains the word sword. Sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And when it, that word against there in the Greek word is the kotzo. The kotzo means to cut into, to, to render asunder. It denoted complete separation. Jesus came to divide. The, the division in the family here that he is talking about is those who will confess Christ and those who will reject him. That's the reality. And that hostility is not limited to three pairs. Verse 35, that's why it says there, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. In a household, someone will come to Christ and another reject Christ, and they'll have that conflict in the family. The most intimate relationship is there. Jesus follows up in verse 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Christ must have the preeminence in all our relationships. The family is not an exception. We must love Christ above family members. Luke 14, verse 26. Talking about the same 
issue, Jesus uses the word hate. And he includes wife and siblings. <laughs> I know what you're thinking, what? You mean you got to hate your wife and your brothers and your sisters in addition to your mother and father and all of them? Really? But this is not inconsistent with husbands loving their wives, Ephesians 5.25. Don't say husbands, okay. It says, hate. I got a hater. I'm just following Jesus. No. Hate in that passage in Luke chapter 14 is a Semitic idiom for priority of loyalty, expressing preference. To hate one's family is to prefer Christ over them by disregarding what they desire if that conflicts with what Christ requires us to do. In other words, uh, if Christ wants us to do something, God wants us to do something, the same say, no, don't do that. You have to say, no, I'm sorry, but i got to follow Christ. It is to love Christ more than, uh, than the l and love them less. All other loves must be subordinate to love for Christ or for God. You notice something. The repetition of the word worthy. Jesus said, if you don't do it, you're not worthy of me. Meaning not deserving and refers to those who Jesus will not accept. The matter is not so much accepting Christ as Christ accepting us. If you don't meet the criteria that Christ lays out here in this passage, then Christ says, I'm sorry, you can't be my disciple. Confessing Christ means allegiance to him. Confessing Christ means putting him above family. Confessing Christ may mean giving up your life. Verses 38-39. The disciples heard these words. In those verses, they knew that the words meant to abandon themselves without reservation to the lordship of Jesus Christ. i got to follow him no matter what it costs me. Even life itself person who has found his life, verse 39, and the things of the world shall lose it. Let me tell you, earthly life is temporary, right? And the person who holds on to it holds something he cannot possibly keep and he'll forfeit eternal life. He is no fool who will give up what he can't keep to gain that which he cannot lose, Jim Elliot said. But on the other hand, person who loses life, physical life for my sake, shall find it. True discipleship demonstrates a person who gives up his life for the sake of Christ is destined for heaven. Let me be clear here. Martyrdom does not um, merit eternal life. You don't get eternal life by dying for Christ. You have eternal life. That's why you're back in. These are amazing words. James Montgomery Boyce, about these words, says, says this. These are amazing teachings. They show Jesus' self-understanding. For who but a man who knew himself to be God could make such statements? End of quote. May I elaborate on that? If I should tell you, you got to love me 
more than your family, you say, man, you're a fool. If I say to you, I'm going to confess you before my Father in heaven, you say, you're nuts. If I say to you, you have to give up your life for me, in service to me, then you could just blow me off as a lunatic. And you know what? You'd be right. I'd be a lunatic, a nut, a fool, or whatever else you want to call me. Because I'm just a mere man. But the one who makes this statement is not a mere man. This is God incarnate. You need to understand, Jesus Christ said, I am the Lord of heaven and earth, and if you want me, you have to go by my demands. This is what real Christianity is. Amen. And so he can make statements like that because of who he is. This is God talking. God in human flesh. Say, so you want to be worthy of me? Here's the criteria. Follow that. Confessing Christ. It's what he tells us to do. It's what it means to belong to him. Amen. Oh, don't be deceived by this shallow Christianity that says, Oh, I trusted Jesus back when I was yay high. And you haven't done anything in following him since that time. You haven't trusted Jesus. You're doing your thing. You're following your way. You don't belong to him. There's a time is coming when either he'll say, Father, he's mine. Or he'll say, Father, he's not mine. I ask again, what will he say about you? Let's bow and pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for his clarifying truth. Thank you for sweeping away all the popular notions in people's heads and in churches. Thinking following Christ is a matter of prosperity in this life. Having your felt needs met. Jesus says, no, it's not that at all. Help us understand what it really means to be a true disciple of Christ. One who truly belongs to him drilled it down deeply into our soul these words for your glory for your honor for the advancement of your church and for our joy being on the right side when it's all said and done these things we pray in the name of Christ Amen